the truth the truth hasn't been uh, real popular lately let's face it yeah uh, the lies coming out of the administration are enormous and sadly despite the russia hoax uh, people continue to believe what they hear through the television from just about anybody and and that's one of our big problems this uh, particular meeting in vilnius is very important mm -hmm. because the russians are watching to see what comes out of it and thus far we have a couple of things first of all we haven't said no Ukraine cannot join NATO. What we've said, actually, is that the two-step process is now going to become a one-step process. Uh, of course, with the caveat that you can then join when the war is over. The second part, though, is very, very important. And that is that the members are now supposedly openly discussing war plans against Russia. Now, this, this kind of thing is extremely sensitive, as you can imagine. Yeah. You can imagine the impact on Moscow. Uh, thus far, Putin has held 300,000 troops in reserve, you know, hoping that he doesn't have to commit them because he's always worried about NATO intervention. And at the same time, you have the Poles and Lithuanians who are saying, well, we're going to go in regardless of what the NATO alliance says. And if we go in, we're not really going to drag NATO with us. The problem with that, of course, is that they're part of NATO. And if they do go in, the Russians will treat them as a NATO Trojan horse and they will attack. Mm -hmm. So we're really on the path to war. And I think we ought to start asking some hard questions of this man who's 80 years old, who has try trouble finding his way off the stage, about what he's actually doing. I mean, we're in the hands of a man who is not entirely mentally stable. Am I right? Uh, you are correct. I mean, look, Colonel, all the naysayers can say whatever they want, but we see it every single day. Every time this man is up there on the world stage with the cameras rolling, it's either doing the straight arm shuffle, which we know is a big sign of the beginning onsets of dementia. I've talked with experts. We've had him on this program, losing his place, as you said, on the stage, figuring out where he goes. And then just the speech. He just spoke, what was it, yesterday or the day before he flew over to the summit, and he couldn't remember what in the hell he was even talking about and he tries to then wiggle his way out of the mumble jumble that comes out of his mouth and in his head. And this is supposed to be the leader of the free world, the most powerful man in the world with the codes to the nukes. I'm scared as hell looking at what we're facing well, with I Ukraine think, and Russia. Well, well, I think you should be. And, and I think everybody in the United States ought to ask, what are we doing? What are our interests in Ukraine? Mm -hmm. We don't really have any interests per se there. If you're going to argue this is about democracy, well, that's ridiculous. Right now, the Ukrainian state, what there is left of it, is more totalitarian than anything we've seen since Stalin. There's nothing there for us whatsoever. Most Europeans want nothing to do with this. So why is everyone so interested in going to war with Russia? I, I haven't figured it out. We don't have enough ammunition for our own forces. We have very few ground forces, very small numbers. If this gets out of hand, we are not in a position to match Russian military power on the ground. And if we can't do that, what do we do? Well, the global we elites that nuclear want nuclear weapons. Well, the global elites that want a one world government, a one world currency, don't like people that are nationalists. And we know Putin loves his mother, Russia, and is a nationalist for his nation. And again, I know he's a murderous thug. I'm not going to say nice things about him, but I'll say one positive. He is all in on Mother Russia, which I wish we had leaders here that were all in on the United States of America. But the problem is we have these global elites and we have leaders like a Biden that have taken money from the rest of them. And to me, they want this big reset and they want to rule the globe under one thumb and we're all their minions and their sheep. And Putin doesn't go for that. So take that guy out. That's my feeling. I don't know. Why well, else would they want to take him out? Well, uh, no, I, I, I think you're right. But increasingly, we are becoming a third world country. We no longer trust the FBI. I mean, the FBI used to be one of those institutions that held absolute, total and complete confidence of the American people. True. Now, people, people are all saying, well, if they come to your door, whatever you do, don't talk to them and call an attorney right away. I mean, this is, a, this is a very sick development in our country. And of course, we're not enforcing the laws. The whole point is that today, if you are an American and you do not necessarily agree with the administration and its policies, and you voice that, you are at risk yep. if you deal with the police. I know. It's a terrible thing. I'm, I'm, um, I'm worried, and I'm still wondering and waiting 
when they're going to knock on our door <laughs> or my personal door off the stuff that we say on this network. I'm amazed. Maybe it's only because we're public and so they don't. But you see what happens to private individuals who are putting this kind of stuff out on their social media pages. It literally goes from being blocked online to that knock on the door. You brought up uh, ammunitions. Colonel, I got I to gotta ask you this since you commanded a lot of troops. So last week we discussed every single branch except the Marine Corps is missing the mark on recruitment. The numbers are depleted in the Army, as you said, down to it's like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Nobody can get in because kids aren't mentally or physically fit to get in. And then the ammunition thing. And I want to get your take on this. Joe Biden said this on a talk show the other night about sending those damn cluster bombs that we weren't going to send because a year ago when we heard Russia was using them, we said that's a war crime. But now we're sending them. And he admits we're out of ammo on live TV. Listen to this. This is a this is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those that ammunition. And we're low on it. Yeah. And we're well, low on the, it. The first question. Yeah, well, the first question is, uh, where's the secretary of defense? Where's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs? Where are the chiefs of staff? They have an obligation to ensure that our war stocks are adequate. Mm -hmm. They have an obligation to ensure that if we have to suddenly fight, no one is going to lack for ammunition or body armor or a whole range of things. But we know that's not the case. And these cluster munitions, those things are old. We haven't used them for a very long time and for good reasons. First of all, they, they weren't that effective. They had a huge dud rate. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they were more trouble than they were because as you advanced, it wasn't a problem for tanks and armored fighting vehicles, but anyone in a wheeled vehicle, in a truck or a Humvee, was at risk. And then, obviously, civilians, especially children, were attracted mm -hmm. to these bright, shiny objects on the floor that looked like baseballs, and they harmed themselves. And we said, we're not going to use them anymore. Well, apparently, we have nothing else to send. Wow. Someone needs to be fired. Someone <laughs> needs to be fired. Yeah, obviously, thanks. we know the man at the top needs to go away. Yeah. He, he needs to be uh, sent to a nice place where he can meet with his grandchildren from time to time. All grandkids. But the rest of these characters, yeah, <laughs> the rest of these, yeah, right. The rest <laughs> of these people, they should be held accountable, but no one on the Hill cares. You see, I think there's this feeling that we can provoke the Russians, we can bully the Russians, and nothing really bad will happen. They're wrong. We're on a bad road right now, a dangerous road for the first time I really think we're on the road to war with Russia, wow. and someone needs to put a stop to it. Where's Reagan when you need him? Okay, so lots going on in the war in Ukraine. The first thing was the big announcement on Friday that the Pentagon intends to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. Now, this is very controversial because cluster munitions have been banned by quite a few countries. Uh, there, there was a and kind of a, a what was it? It was like a, a treaty that was signed. The United States did not sign this. Neither did Russia uh, to ban cluster munitions. Tell us what what first of all, what are cluster munitions? Why are they controversial? And what is the significance of the U.S. wanting to send these over to Ukraine? We're talking about bomblets. Uh, they look about the size of a baseball. And you may have inside one munition, 50 to 100 of these. And uh, they are supposed to explode. For a moment, ever puzzled why banks earn billions while our debts mount? Let's unlock that mystery together. Join us on a journey with our free webinar, The Creation of Money. This isn't your regular webinar. We've simplified global finance mechanisms into a potent, eye-opening session that could change your life. Sound intriguing? Take one small step. Click the link below, enter your email, and open the door to financial wisdom. Your adventure starts now. See you on the inside. No, I'm afraid uh, they're very concerned, and there's a reason to be concerned. If we just pause for a second and look at this meeting in Vilnius, I think there are plenty of reasons for concern. Uh, you're, the British and the French, for reasons that make no sense to me, have now promised long-range cruise missiles to Zelensky. These are missiles that will enable Zelensky and his cronies to strike targets in Russia which is something we said we would not do. <clears throat> now, why is that important? I mean, if nothing else came out of this meeting, this would be critical. It's important because Zelensky's desperate. This war has been lost. The Russians are sitting down there very comfortably waiting for the, for the word to do something. 
And that that's a that's a sore point inside Russia right now. People would like to get this war over with. And they <clears throat> they say they're willing to accept the casualties required to get the job done. Putin is still in the wait mode. He wanted to see what would happen in Vilnius. He has reservations. We can talk about that, about what should happen next. But the bottom line is, if you're Zelensky and you know you've lost, you know that if the Russians push it, you've got nothing to stop them, and someone delivers cruise missiles to you, what are you going to do with those cruise missiles? Well, you're going to launch them at whatever you can in Russia designed to provoke a response in the hopes that you can drag the United States especially and the rest of NATO into a war with Russia. I mean, that's the simple fact of the matter. Now, he was told, you're not going to join NATO this year, but we're going to reduce it to a one-step process. And presumably, whenever the war ends, well, then everything changes and we'll bring you in. Well, that remains to be seen. But the problem is that giving this man and his government those weapons is an invitation to disaster. Now, beyond that, you have the Poles and the Lithuanians who have been talking about a joint <clears throat> intervention into Western Europe. I mean, there are, excuse me, Western Ukraine. Their argument is, uh, we'll go into Western Ukraine, we'll establish some sort of buffer zone. Uh, we're not afraid of the Russians. And by the way, uh, we don't care whether or not NATO supports us. Uh, well, you know, that's that's another red flag. First of all, anybody who is a member of NATO who sends forces into Western Ukraine is going to be regarded as part of NATO. Just because the Poles and Ukrainians or Poles and Lithuanians say, oh, no, this is just us. It's not going to rescue them. The Russians will destroy them. But it, it could precipitate or trigger the massive offensive that has been held back by Putin, just as the cruise missiles could. And then, of course, you have the last gasp on the part of Biden to try and expand this feeble and crumbling NATO alliance by bringing in Sweden, which makes no sense. If you're a Swede, I haven't figured out why they want to join the sinking ship. But that's effectively what they're doing. They're stepping onto a ship that's sinking. NATO is the equivalent of the Titanic. It's already hit an iceberg. The iceberg is called Ukraine. But we are making we're making every effort to keep up appearances. You keep up appearances by dragging in Sweden. So you turn around to Turkey, uh, the, the state that you said you would not give F-16s to, and uh, suddenly you tell the Turks, well, you can have F-16s if you'll support Sweden's entry into the alliance. <clears throat> well, if you're an Israeli right now, uh, you look at this delivery of more expensive technology into the hands of Mr. Erdogan, who is clearly not your friend, and you wonder what this is going to lead to down the line. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we seem to be pulling out all the stops to try and rescue this thing. We can't. There's no easy solution. It's effectively over in Ukraine. But the question is, when we say over, what does over mean? Does it mean a negotiated solution? We've said no. Does it mean war? We've said, no, we really don't want a war, but we're going to give these people cruise missiles that can strike Russia, and we're going to continue to deliver aid in other forms to the Ukrainians. So the Russian sits back and the Russian says, well, inflation in Russia is at about 2%. The Russian economy is growing at 2% right now infinitely better than the situation anywhere in Western Europe. The Russians are very comfortable with where their economy is. They're doing a land office business with China and dozens of other countries and India. They they have no serious economic problem whatsoever. On the contrary, they're, they're very healthy. And they're now talking about this new currency that will emerge that will be pegged to gold. And of course, for those of us that live in the world of fiat currency, gold is like you know, garlic to a vampire. Uh, we don't want it. Uh, it's the last thing on the earth that we want because gold is real money, as Alistair uh, McLeod likes to say. No ifs, ands, or buts. And we think that 40 countries are joining Russia, India, China, Brazil, and South Africa already. That They may add another 40 countries. Very shortly, it'll be the United States or North America with Canada and Europe. And how many people in Europe are going to sit still and wait for the gold-pegged currency to overwhelm them? We don't know. But the issue, though, is could this still lead to a major war between the United States and, and uh, Russia? And the answer is yes, because we don't have control of what's going to happen inside NATO. 
How do we stop the Poles and the Lithuanians from doing something stupid? How do we control what Zelensky does with British and French cruise missiles? The answer is we don't. And since we don't control those things, and we're facing our own set of problems at home, we're watching France melt down, the Dutch government just fell, the Bulgarians have said, we'll be neutral under any circumstances of what you do. Hungary doesn't support the business with Ukraine. I mean, we just go down the list. It's endless. And our problems are endless. The border is open. Illegal immigration, illegal human trafficking continues at a horrendous rate. I mean, it's, it's catastrophic what we face here at home. Yet there's no sense of this. And then we are led ostensibly by this enfeebled person uh, who is 80 years old and has trouble finding his way off the stage. So who's really in charge? I, I don't think it's President Biden. Who's running the government? It's back to this question of who really controls everything in Washington and the United States. Well, I think it's a combination of wealthy oligarchs, big donors to the left, Wall Street. But clearly, the American people don't have much to say about any of it. And you know, as well as I do, if you go on and look at mainstream media, there's no mention of any possibility of any real conflict with Russia. People continue every day, oh, don't worry, the stock market isn't crashed yet. You know, the economy is bad, but it's getting better. No. Uh, so just, you know, what was it that Bush said? Go to the mall and shop. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the message that comes from Washington. And I think it's a very dangerous one because we are much closer to danger than we have been in decades when it comes to war with Russia. Thank you for that. These countries that are getting ready to hand over these these long distance missiles, uh, are they under the belief that Ukraine is not going to use them mm -hmm. to fire into Moscow because every other weapon they've given them that mm -hmm. that might reach, they've they've tried to use it, including drones and 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 other uh, you know weapons. To me, this seems very dangerous, like handing a child a weapon and then the adult leaves the room saying, well, we'll just trust that the child won't fire the weapon in the wrong direction. Are, are they just operating under hope? Well, you're, you're striking the salient target out there. This is the real question, because I can tell you that behind the scenes, the Germans want this whole thing to end as do most of the Europeans. They don't want this perpetual war going on in Ukraine. Uh, their economy is in total ruins. The country's being deindustrialized. Germany is going to be pasteurized. Then they're overwhelmed by millions of Muslims from North Africa and the Middle East that they don't want in their country. I mean, let's be frank. We can, we can pretend otherwise, but those are the facts. The same thing that's happening in France could happen in Germany. There's already some evidence of it breaking out. So I don't think that the the Germans want to see Russia destroyed and dismembered, <clears throat> which is the real uh, Wall Street, London banking, Washington, London government uh, cabal goal and objective. Bring down Putin, bring down the government, dismember Russia, strip it of its resources. That's not going to happen. And they know that. So if they're not signing on for that, the question is, why are they doing something stupid? on the scale that you're suggesting, because I think they continue to drink the Kool-Aid, which is, well, you know, uh, the Ukrainians could still win. No, they can't. Well, you know, the, the Russians haven't done anything yet. Well, they haven't done much, that's true, but that doesn't mean they can't and they won't. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trap, I think. Uh, you're, you, politicians never really want to be pregnant and bring the child to uh, term. They always want to be a little bit pregnant because they never know when they want to abort. And as soon as things get really, really bad, they'll abort. That's what's going on in Europe. Uh, I just don't know how much longer those governments will last. I'm surprised that Schultz is still there. His approval ratings are worse than Biden's. They have a parliamentary regime. They can have a no confidence vote and replace him and put in a new government. But for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. I still think a lot of that has to do with this sort of lingering hope and wish that they can remain a vassal of the United States without the consequences of subordinating themselves to us. And the consequences of subordinating themselves to us militarily, politically, and financially is the disaster in Ukraine.
which could get a lot worse. Wow. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, I don't know the exact phrase you said, but you said we could address that if you want. Had something to do with Putin's reservations or go yeah. ahead. Tell me what that, tell me what you're thinking there. Well, I think <clears throat> you mentioned Prigozhin, uh, Russia's answer to reality TV. Uh, I'm not terribly interested in wasting a lot of time talking about him personally, but we ought to look carefully at what this event meant at least in the minds of Russians, and can, why it continues to sort of reverberate, I think, in Moscow. After listening to that clip, it's clear we are drifting dangerously close to the brink of a major global conflict. Sending long-range missiles to Ukraine, as the UK and France are doing, is like giving matches to an arsonist. It's the height of irresponsibility and could set off a conflagration across Europe. Yet our political leaders seem oblivious to the risks. Medvedev warns we are heading towards World War III, while Trump asks why Biden is inching us closer to global catastrophe instead of seeking peace. They have a point. This proxy war with Russia is not in America's interests. War is expanding NATO to Russia's doorstep and incorporating reckless regimes like Erdogan's Turkey into the alliance. We are compromising our security to satisfy the expansionist agenda of a defunct Cold War relic. Make no mistake, Putin is no angel. His invasion of Ukraine is indefensible, but as Colonel McGregor laid out, Russia's aims are fairly limited to create a neutral buffer zone in eastern Ukraine and prevent the country from joining NATO. Those are understandable priorities from their perspective, given the EU and NATO have been aggressively expanding eastward since the 1990s, violating assurances made to Gorbachev. Russia has no desire for a wider war with NATO. They know such a conflict would be catastrophic for all involved. Yet by arming Ukraine with long-range offensive weapons, the hawks in Washington seem intent on dragging us into the fray. Do we really want to risk nuclear brinkmanship over a non-aligned eastern Ukraine? That's absolute madness. And Russia is ready for a long war of attrition. Their economy is holding strong under sanctions, while Europe teeters on the edge of recession. Russian forces continue to mobilize, with defense factories running 24-7 to equip over a million troops. Morale remains high, as they are fighting to defend the motherland. In contrast, here in the US our military is severely unprepared. We've already depleted our stockpiles of ammunition and are down to sending old cluster munitions. Our navy has only 40% of its attack submarines operational, and the American people have no appetite for another foreign intervention after the disasters in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yet the bipartisan war hawks in Congress, led by Schumer and Graham, seem obsessed with provoking open conflict with Russia. The media cheers them on, never questioning whether such brinkmanship serves our national interest. They assume we can easily overwhelm Russia with our military military might. But as history shows, wars often spiral out of control in ways no one predicts. We saw this in 1914, when European leaders sleepwalked into World War I the armies marching off to glory soon bogged down in the horrors of trench warfare. The same hubris pervades Washington today. Our leaders are itching for a fight, convinced of an easy win. In reality, any war with Russia would be disastrous, likely going nuclear. As Einstein said, WWIV will be fought with sticks and stones. So what should we do? For starters, stop escalating tensions needlessly, rein in NATO's expansionist agenda, get Ukraine and Russia to agree on a neutral buffer zone, offer carrots as well as sticks to give Putin a face-saving way to de-escalate, resume normal trade and exchange with Russia. Help Europe end its reliance on Russian energy through new pipelines and LNG terminals. In short, find a diplomatic off-ramp before we plunge over the precipice. I know such restraint requires wisdom and foresight, qualities in short supply among our ruling class nowadays. But the stakes could not be higher. We are gambling with the lives of millions and the future of human civilization itself in this high-stakes proxy war with Russia. I pray that wiser heads prevail on both sides and that we step back from the brink before it's too late. But as call. McGregor warns, the way we are headed, a devastating global war may soon be upon us. Pause for a moment. Ever puzzled why banks earn billions while our debts mount? Let's unlock that mystery together. Join us on a journey with our free webinar, The Creation of Money. This isn't your regular webinar. We've simplified global finance mechanisms into a potent, eye-opening session that could change your life. Sound intriguing? Take one small step. Click the link below, enter your email, and open the door to financial wisdom. Your adventure starts now. See you on the inside. It would take us months to catch up. It's time to be realistic. They have more in this game than we do. What happens in Ukraine is existential for them. It's yeah. For us, it's like Cuba or Mexico. 
But for them, it's everything. For us, Ukraine is nothing. We want the best for the people. That's about it. Or yeah, that's peace. Right. And peace, definitely ending this war in peace would be uh, the best thing for the Ukrainian people. Um, is Lindsey Graham an idiot? <laughs> and I ask this question. because... <laughs> well, here's the thing. So he has tweeted out saying, I will be working with Republicans and Democrats in the Senate to pass a resolution urging the admission of Ukraine into NATO. The best way to prevent future wars, the best way to prevent future wars and promote peace is to create security guarantees that make aggressor nations think twice before starting wars. Ukrainian NATO membership is vital to the future security of Europe and the world. I believe there's an overwhelming majority of senators supporting this proposition, he says. But um, he's now facing rebuke from Republicans in the House and the Senate because they're saying, no, 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 this isn't actually what we want. Why is Lindsey Graham so out of step with the rest of the Republicans? Is he just more bought off by the military industrial complex than the rest? Or what's the deal here? I think you always need to identify the donors. Uh, there are major donors out there, uh, oligarchs in the Western sense, billionaires, mm -hmm. Zuckerberg, Gates. Uh, there are many, many others beyond that. Look at the hedge fund managers that are billionaires. Where does their money go? What do they want? We have a, a ruling class that hates Russia, that wants to destroy it, then wants to strip it of its resources and exploit it for profit. That's what it's about. He's simply saying what his donors want him to say. Now, he's a combat lawyer, remember? So he understands everything there is about warfare. He's been under fire many times. He knows what it is like to watch American soldiers die or be wounded in foreign lands, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. The second part is that the rest of the world right now looks upon us as the aggressor. Most of the world sees what Russia is doing and doesn't see it in those terms. If Russia were the aggressor, things would have been different right now in Ukraine. That place would look like a parking lot and the Russians would be well on their way to the Polish border. That hasn't happened and that's not what the Russians want. The Russians, especially Mr. Putin, wants to be able to live with his neighbors when the war ends. We don't seem to care about that. So what we've left behind us is a trail of hatred and destruction in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Libya. That's not what Putin is interested in doing in Europe. So that's why the whole notion of, well, if we don't stop the Russians now, they'll go straight through. That's a lot of nonsense. This is 2023, not 1903, not 1983. The world really is different. We need to look at it through a different lens. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, one other thing I think why Lindsey Graham is kind of an idiot in pushing for this is that it would be in the Republicans' best interest if this war ended under Biden, right? I mean, we saw what happened with the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Um, it, that was a disaster for Biden. It was done in a very disastrous way. Many of us, I mean, I definitely wanted to see the end of that war for sure, but didn't like the way it was handled. Um this, I mean, this would be a gift to Republicans if this ended under Biden. It was like, look at Biden. He's failed us completely. <laughs> Rather than rolling this into the next administration, which very well would be a Republican administration, many of us believe, and then having to have the Republican end it, and then it, it, look who Russia wins, Russia wins. I mean, it just seems like you'd want to back down now as a Repo at, at Republicans, you would think would want this. But my question is, um, you know, you've been in the military for a long time. You were on the battlefield. What, how can, how does the United States move forward with this military, the way, the military industrial complex? Like what, how should we re-envision? Because we're not winning. We're look at, we can't even beat the Taliban, a bunch of people in the, you know, random fighters in mountains. We're not winning wars. We haven't won wars in so long. And now here we are, another mistake what is the future for the military for the United States? Our military is at a low ebb. We spend more money than anyone else in the world. In fact, more money than the top 10 powers in the world on defense. We believe that if you shove enough money into the Defense Department, you're going to get competence, capability, military power out of it. That's not true. Can we have 44 four-star generals on active duty? 44 generals and admirals, four stars. We have 1.12 million people under arms. In 1943, we had 12.2 million under arms. We only had seven four-stars, generals and admirals. 
one wonders how we possibly won the Second World War with only seven four-stars. Aren't we lucky that we have 44 today? What's my point? My point is this is a bloated bureaucracy. The numbers of people who actually deploy and fight are minimal. And now we have destroyed morale. We are undermining discipline with all of this wokeism and nonsense. The military has been turned into a social experiment. It's designed to make people in Washington happy, and they think it's making their constituents happy. Oh, look at my daughter, Susie. She's a warrior. It's a lot of nonsense. We're living in a fantasy world. The Russians would go right through us. Let's wake up. They're serious. We're not. So what has to happen? We've got to go after this military establishment. It needs to be reduced. And then we need to come to terms with another reality. The defense industries are businesses. They're, it's in their interest to make as much money as possible. Who's watching it? Nobody. Nobody's questioning anything because people on the Hill are pocketing a lot of cash by going along with bad programs and bad policies. So the whole military establishment needs to be reduced. You've got to get it back down to a lean fighting machine. Then you can be, begin really reforming it, reorganizing it, and changing the way we command and control it, the way we recruit for it. That, that's going to take us years. It will take us five to 10 years to recover, I would say, from the last 20 years, and certainly from the last two and a half. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely many of us want to see a reduction in all of this, but I don't know how we're going to how we're going to do that since it is business and and people are out there making money and they've got jobs and billions well, of, Nassim, of dollars Nassim in the pocket. Talib, Nassim Taleb tells us that we're staring financial Armageddon in the face. Yeah. Uh, I would listen to Nassim Taleb and, and what he says. I would listen to James Ricards. These are people who are warning us about printing money and raising interest rates. They're warning us about the use of monetary policy to fix structural problems in the economy. Can't be done. Something's got to give. And we haven't even talked about the border. We haven't talked right. about the rule of law, the criminality in our cities. What are we doing in Ukraine? There's nothing there for us to do. Everything that we need to do is here at home. And most of the world is eminently capable of defending itself. And contrary to popular belief, there are not large armies, navies, and air forces in China and Russia just waiting for the opportunity to invade somebody else. Nothing could be further from the truth. Unfortunately, the truth hasn't been very popular these days. Lies seem to dominate the narrative, especially from the administration. People still believe what they hear on TV, despite the Russia hoax and the constant stream of misinformation. It's disheartening to see how easily people are misled. Now, let's talk about the recent meeting in Vilnius. This is a pivotal moment because Russia is closely watching the outcome. And what have we learned so far? Well, instead of outright denying Ukraine's NATO membership, we're introducing a two-step process, with the second step contingent on the war's resolution. So it's a bit of a mixed message, to say the least. But here's the real bombshell. NATO members are now supposedly openly discussing war plans against Russia. Can you imagine the sensitivity and gravity of such discussions? It's mind-boggling. The impact on Moscow could be profound. Putin has been holding 300,000 troops in reserve, always worried about NATO intervention. And on the other side, we have the Lithuanians talking about going against NATO's wishes and charging ahead on their own. But let's be clear, if they do that, Russia will see them as a NATO Trojan horse and respond accordingly. We're walking a dangerous path, my friends. I think it's high time we start asking some hard questions. We're entrusting our future to an 80-year-old man who seems to have trouble finding his way off the stage. We need to seriously question what he's doing and the decisions being made. It's concerning to think that we're on the brink of war with Russia, and we don't even have leaders who are mentally stable. And here's another troubling factor. Our dear leader, who is supposed to be the most powerful man in the world with the codes to the nukes has been displaying signs of cognitive decline. It's evident in his stumbling speeches, his forgetfulness, and his attempts to wiggle out of his own words. We should be scared as hell when we consider what we're facing with Ukraine and Russia. But let's take a step back and examine our interests in Ukraine. Do we really have any significant interests there? I mean, let's be honest. The Ukrainian state, or what's left of it, is more totalitarian than anything we've seen since Stalin. 
there's nothing in it for us. Most Europeans want nothing to do with this conflict. So why are we so hell-bent on going to war with Russia? It's something I haven't been able to figure out. The harsh reality is that we're ill-prepared for a confrontation with Russia. We don't have enough ammunition for our own forces, and our ground forces are severely limited. If things spiral out of control, we simply can't match Russia's military power on the ground. And what's the alternative? Global nuclear warfare. That's not something any rational person should desire. But here's the underlying issue. The global elites, the ones who advocate for a one-world government and a one-world currency, despise nationalists like Putin, who prioritize the interests of their own nation. While I don't have many nice things to say about Putin, I respect the fact that he's all in for Mother Russia. I wish we had leaders who were truly committed to the United States of America. But alas, we're under the sway of leaders who have taken money from these global elites and are pushing for their agenda. Now, I'm not saying we should support Putin or endorse his actions, but we must understand the geopolitical realities at play. Most importantly, we should focus on preserving our own interests and protecting our own nation. The path we're on is worrisome, and it's time we take a hard look at the consequences of our actions. Speaking of consequences, let's talk about the recent developments in the military. We've learned that the Pentagon intends to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. This move is highly controversial because cluster munitions have been banned by many countries. These munitions are notorious for their high dud rates and the unintended harm they cause, especially to civilians. Sending these cluster munitions to Ukraine is a desperate move. We're running low on ammunition, and it seems like this is all we have left. But the truth is, these munitions aren't that effective. They were designed for jungle terrain in Vietnam, where we struggled to reach dispersed enemy forces with precision munitions. But today, we we have advanced technology that provides accuracy without the need for bomblets. We must question why we're resorting to outdated tactics and weaponry. Desperation seems to be driving our decisions, and it's not a good place to be. Cluster munitions are a step backward, and we should have learned from our past experiences with them. It's disheartening to see how our military has been mismanaged. We're facing recruitment challenges, depleted numbers in various branches, and ammunition shortages. Just last week, we discussed how every branch, except the Marine Corps is struggling to recruit. Our military is not in a position of strength, and it's time we reevaluate our approach. And let's not forget about the big elephant in the room, the military-industrial complex. It's a business, and its primary goal is to make money. Unfortunately, the more money we pour into defense, the more bloated the bureaucracy becomes. We have a surplus of high-ranking officials, but a shortage of deployable forces. We've turned our military into a social experiment, undermining discipline and morale. It's clear that we need to re-examine our military and make significant changes. We must reduce its size, refocus on its core mission, and eliminate the influence of moneyed interests. It will take time and effort, but it's necessary if we want a lean fighting machine that can truly protect our interests. Click the video on screen to stay updated and fight the free people's movement. Click this video now to stay updated. Can you get a hand on this a handle on this? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say this. Phil Giraldi has a really good piece this morning on Unz, uh, on this, trying to put these things together. He talks about a riddle wrapped up in a mystery inside an enigma, which this particular episode is. Suffice it to say that I think Putin is pretty strong here if he can call this guy a traitor in one breath and then welcome him back with his... With his uh, chief uh, lieutenants in, in the next breath. What am I saying? I'm saying that uh, Wagner is too precious a pearl to simply dissipate. So Putin's game, it seems to me, is to separate Wagner, this wonderful asset, from Prigozhin. And I see them going after Prigozhin. You saw that raid on his office, okay? But Wagner, no, no, they want to keep those guys, okay? So that's how I see it right now. That's not much help. But in the coming days, we should see uh, how it eventuates. My, my impression still is that rather than showing weakness on, on Putin's part, it shows a, a rather, a, you know, a, a strength that he can act this way and have no evident opposition to taking this rather meek line toward the, the, the celebrated chef Prigozhin. Is there any um, Russian history um, of uh, private warlords helping out the Tsar or helping out the head of the Soviet Union, warlords whose chain of command was outside the ordinary legal 
Defense Ministry chain of command? Well, there were the Cossacks, of course, that were always very helpful to the Tsar. Whether they could be considered outside the military command, I don't think so. They were pretty much a, a kind of a side, uh, a side army that uh, could be more effective and actually protect the Tsar in a way that the others could not. What, um, what's your take on the Biden administration offering to deliver uh, cluster munitions to uh, to Ukraine? Is this because we ourselves have run out of artillery cells, shells that they desperately need? It's embarrassing, isn't it? I was on, I was on one of the Russia TV's uh, most popular shows, uh, Solovyov Live, and uh, they mentioned you know these these uh, munitions. And they said, well, so how do you explain this? I said, well, I don't have to explain it. Uh, the president said they run out of ammunition, the Ukrainians. And we were very low uh, on these particular shells, uh, the high explosive shells that go with the 155 millimeter uh, cannon or, or, or uh, tank or, or artillery piece, actually, I should say. Uh, so he says, well, uh, we looked around and uh, we're low too. The president's word, we're really low on these things. So oh, we saw on the shelf here a bunch of, oh, these things fit, you know, uh, these are fine. So let's, let's provide these. Now, it's really a riddle that you can unravel as to why NATO and the United States is low and Ukraine is out of ammunition. I mean, there's hold a that, war going hold that on, right? thought. Hold that thought as to why we're low. Here's the okay. president of the United States on CNN over the weekend saying exactly as you just characterized it, Joe Biden on ammo. The Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. Uh, the ammunition that they, they call them 155 millimeter weapons. This is a this is a war relating to munitions and uh the running out of those that ammunition and we're low on it the ukrainians are running out of ammunition and we're low on it a why tell the world we're low on ammunition b how ineffective and negligent is your management of the federal government that we are running low See, are we really running low? Is the president's statement too inaccurate? Ray. See, yes, we're running low. Uh, I forget what the B and A are, but let me just comment well, on. The A is why tell the world, and B is how negligent is your management that you would allow us to run low? <laughs> the Congress gives the uh, Defense Department $850 billion, with a B a year. And they're running low on artillery shells. And as far as I know, we're not firing artillery shells, maybe at Fort Sill uh, in some sort of a, a training program. So all of our artillery shells are being wasted in Ukraine, a war that, according to the Jack Deshera revealed documents, the government knows Ukraine's going to lose. Well, just let me just add something that Biden said, which I would challenge. We're in a situation quote, where Ukraine continues to be brutally attacked across the board by these cluster munitions. Now, you've heard various views on whether the Russians are using cluster munitions. Uh, I think this may be another weapons of mass destruction little deception. Back a year ago, the deal the Department of Defense was asked, are the Russians using, here's some evidence, uh, are the Russians using cluster munitions? And the DOD said, oh, we can't, we can't confirm that. The Department of Defense. Now, what has happened in the interim? I don't know. And the best experts that you and I uh, choose to uh, consort with say, we don't know right now, but it's not proven that what the president says here, namely that the Russians are using these things, is correct. I would I would guess it's incorrect uh, for lots of reasons that I could explain later. 
But let me get to the core of the, let me get to number C. You know, why are we running short of this with all the billions that we spend? We spend those billions enriching the pockets of Raytheon and Lockheed and the rest of them on sophisticated things like F-35s that have real problems flying in rain <laughs> and at night, you know, okay? So what's the, the bigger picture? The bigger picture, I'm going to give you a little quote from our president in the early 2000s. Here it is. Today, the world's great powers find themselves on the same side in the war against terrorism. We are increasingly united by common values. Russia is in the midst of a hopeful transition. Chinese leaders are discovering that economic freedom is the only source of national wealth. We welcome their pursuit of prosperity, trade, and cultural advancement. Guess which president? George Bush, for God's sake. Mm. I cite that only because people forget the Soviet Union fell apart, okay? It, 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 it imploded, okay, in 1991, okay? There was no threat from Russia. Here is, here is George Bush saying precisely that, welcoming them as pretty much cooperative people. So what happened? Well, NATO said, well, there's no threat from Russia. Let's, oh, maybe maybe China and, and the arms dealers said, oh yeah, let's, let's pivot to the East. We'll do China and then we'll still get rich, okay? But there was no threat. When did the threat come? When we overthrew the Ukrainian government, duly elected, Yanukovych was the president in, on February 22nd, uh, 2014, the most blatant coup in history. That's when all of a sudden the Russians became a problem, okay? That's when they they annexed Crimea. If people thought that they wouldn't annex Crimea with their with their naval port there, Sevastopol, they're crazy. I have no idea what the Russians think of that strategic position. So, a long story short, the reason there's no appropriate ammunition, because there's no there, there was seen as be no need for that, okay? And when you build, you know, 155 millimeter shells, well, you need a little bit of lead time, and they can't even get that lead time compressed to the point where it would have an effect on what's going on now with the so-called counteroffensive. So our friend Jack um, uh, Devine, who says that he thinks that Ukraine can win, is probably ignoring the fact that we and Ukraine have run out of artillery shells. And of course, he's not a military guy, but he must know you can't win a war without an artillery. Uh, Judge Jack Devine and, and other former chiefs of station are, uh, are con artists. <laughs> okay, that, that's their stock in trade. Hold your... Uh, Hold your thought because this will raise your blood pressure a little bit. Gary, uh, <laughs> play uh, the clip from Jack Devine yesterday. Do you think that the Ukrainian forces can drive the Russians out of Ukraine? What I've said all along is just hold them and they will collapse. Just hold them. They don't have to drive them out. That's an American view. Drive them out. I'm saying you hold them and Putin will fall and you'll cut a new deal. I've been consistent in the world's discussion, driving them out. Will they be able to regain their territories? I believe that that's a possibility, not a probability, possibility. Will they be able to regain their territories? And before you you uh, comment, hold, hold your thought, Gary, President Zelensky over the weekend on Crimea. Six months ago, you said you would not cede any territory to Russia to end this war. We're now 16 months in. Is your answer the same? Yes. No territory, no Crimea. No territory. Crimea is our territory. All right. One's more deluded or misdirected. Jack's my friend. I don't want to say deluded uh, than the other. 
The topic at hand is the concerning situation in Ukraine and the low stockpiles of ammunition in the United States. It's a conversation that brings to light some important issues and prompts us to think critically about the decisions being made. Ray McGovern is well known for his expertise in Russian affairs, and his insights are always valuable. During the interview, he discusses the recent developments in Ukraine, referring to them as a riddle wrapped up in a mystery inside an enigma. This characterization perfectly captures the complex nature of the situation. McGovern highlights the seemingly contradictory actions of the Russian government, where they label someone a traitor one moment and then welcome them back the next. He suggests that this maneuver could be an attempt to separate a valuable asset from the individual in question. When asked about the history of private warlords assisting the Russian government, McGovern mentions the Cossacks, who were known for their support of the Tsar. While not entirely outside the military chain of command, the Cossacks operated as a distinct armory that could provide a different kind of protection. It's an interesting historical context to consider when examining the current situation in Ukraine. Moving on to the topic of ammunition shortages, the interview delves into the Biden administration's offer to deliver cluster munitions to Ukraine. McGovern humorously mentions his appearance on a popular Russian TV show where he was asked to explain this situation. He shares that the president had stated that the Ukrainians were running out of ammunition and upon examining their own stockpiles, they found a surplus. This discrepancy in ammunition availability between NATO and Ukraine is puzzling indeed. The conversation then turns to the broader implications of this issue. McGovern quotes former President George Bush, who once spoke of the unity between great powers in the fight against terrorism. He reminds us that after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was no perceived threat from Russia. However, the dynamics changed dramatically when the Ukrainian government was overthrown in 2014 and Russia annexed Crimea. This event marked a turning point in how Russia was perceived by the West. McGovern argues that the lack of adequate ammunition for Ukraine is a direct result of not foreseeing the need for it until it was too late. The interview also touches on the intelligence community's role and its potential biases. McGovern expresses his concerns about the information provided to President Biden, stating that it aligns more with what he wants to hear than with the reality on the ground. He advocates for a re-evaluation of the CIA and its operations, suggesting that while there may be some some value in certain aspects, a significant overhaul is necessary. As the conversation continues, McGovern emphasizes that the current approach of trying to weaken Russia is not realistically achievable. He warns of the dangers of continuing the conflict and potentially using what little ammunition remains as a threat. It's a precarious situation that demands sensible judgment and a shift toward negotiations and ceasefire discussions. In conclusion, this interview sheds light on the complexities of the situation in Ukraine and the low stockpiles of ammunition in the United States. Ray McGovern provides valuable insights, highlighting the contradictions and challenges at play. It is crucial that we critically analyze these developments and consider alternative approaches that prioritize peaceful resolutions. Only through dialogue and cooperation can we hope to achieve stability and avoid further escalation. Click the video on screen to stay updated and fight the free people's movement. Click this video now to stay updated.